0: As uh, so often happens for me, at least in my life, it seems like whatever it is that I'm called to preach on, it seems like it sort of ends up mirroring my own life. And when you chose last week, uh, where's the joy? And the question was, how do you have joy in Christ when your life seems so discouraging? How do negative thoughts affect your behavior? I, I wouldn't say that my life uh, overall is discouraging in any way. Uh, but I found myself this last week struggling to find joy. Uh, at least, maybe more aware of that. And uh, I've been—I've noticed, and others around me have noticed—I've been a little quieter lately, a little more sullen. And, and I am aware. I am aware of um, a heaviness in me lately that makes me makes finding joy difficult. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm trying to catch my breath, and uh, I'm trying. I'm paying attention to my... trying to pay attention to what's going on inside of me to be self-aware. And obviously, I think for myself, some of it comes still from lingering grief yet from my mother's passing recently and, and other things going on around me that, that I find either disheartening or discouraging. Um, i sort of taken a break from the news again because it does nothing good for my soul. And... Uh, and then I'm aware as well of people that I'm close to, people that I care about who are struggling in one way or another, and that also creates a kind of a heaviness as well. So there is this burden in me, a sadness sometimes, and sometimes I'll say even perhaps an anger, if I, and if I don't acknowledge it and, and I find a healthy way to express it, I, it, will, it turns into depression. That's me. How about you? <laughs> Maybe you're on top of the world today, and if you are, awesome, it's a wonderful place to be. Maybe you have, um, maybe you're one of those people who uh, your temperament, your personality is such that you just see the sunny side of life, the glass is half full, for some reason you're able to look at even some of the most difficult circumstances, and you see the positive side of it, or you're just able to go with the flow. Maybe there are some of you who, uh, who um, you have good and healthy ways of coping with difficulties and setbacks and struggles, and maybe some of you are aware of negative feelings that you carry, the struggles that you face, and you know that your coping mechanism probably isn't really working. In fact, you're, some of you might be stuffing your feelings. Maybe you're um, masking the hurt or the pain or the struggle. Uh, or maybe you're even numbing yourself to it in any number of ways, alcohol, substance, shopping, whatever it is that, whatever it is that you do, uh, that you try to numb yourself from uncomfortable feelings, negative emotions. And maybe discouragement has been unrelenting and you wonder if you'll ever feel joy again. Negative thoughts do affect us, don't they? In fact, if you don't pay attention to them, if you don't deal with them in a healthy way, you'll end up spiraling downward or um, perhaps becoming uh, embittered or looking for an escape or relief. I believe that there is a pathway to finding joy. Circumstances, listen, circumstances may or may not change on the outside, but something can change on the inside. For the better. There is a joy that is available that is not dependent upon circumstances and is not deterred by struggles. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to be plunged into a deep abyss of sorrow and grief, of anger and fear at his crucifixion. They would grieve the death of their friend and rabbi, they would wring their hands at the blindness and bad decisions of religious authorities, the fickleness of crowds that were easily swayed, that were shallow. The disciples would experience anger and powerlessness at the injustices of governing officials, and they would feel sadness and shame at their own failure, denial, abandonment, betrayal, and paralyzing fear. That first Good Friday was anything but good for these guys. And we know that it was more than Judas could bear. He took his life. Jesus did his best to prepare his disciples for what was about to transpire. And our scripture this morning is again from the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, It's recorded in John's Gospel. If you want to follow along with me, we're in John, Gospel of John, chapter 17. 16 rather, chapter 16, beginning with verse 17. Let's hear God's Word. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father... They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. The disciples aren't um, really sure what's going on at this point. Uh, They don't know what's going down, Uh, although they have a sense that something's about to happen, and perhaps they're thinking it's maybe going to be something glorious or certainly very ominous. Jesus is uh, talking about going away and then coming back. Um, It's a puzzle. It's a riddle for these disciples. And of course, we know the meaning of it because we're on the other side of the crucifixion and resurrection. But they don't understand. And we can scarce imagine the horror that they are going to witness, the shock that will shake the ground under their feet, the debilitating fear. And the sadness that is going to crash over them like a tsunami in less than 24 hours. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Jesus pulls no punches. He He tells them that they will be distraught and overwhelmed with sorrow. But it will be temporary. It's not going to last. But while they are weeping and mourning, Jesus says the world will rejoice. For a brief moment, all of, the, all of the evil in the world, all the injustices, all of the, the hatred and fear and jealousy and pride will be focused on the Son of God. At Golgotha, we see the system of human organization or civilization for what it is, an axis of power enforced by violence so corrupt that it is capable of murdering God. In the name of what it it would call truth, or justice, or liberty, Jesus will suffer the injustice of this world, the broken systems that oppress, the fear that seeks to destroy, the pride and ego that resists change. Jesus will die for and because of the sin of the world. How in the world was Jesus able to be so resolute when he went to the cross? He knew what was coming. And he was trying to prepare the disciples. He knew the horrors of what he was going to be facing. How was Jesus able to be so resolute about it? And how are we to face our crosses and our struggles, our burdens resolutely, even with joy? Hebrews 12, 2 urges us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the what? The joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that verse, don't you? I mean, Jesus had joy, not the cross itself. There was nothing joyful about that. But Jesus knew what the cross was going to accomplish. He could see beyond it. Call it faith, call it vision, call it whatever you will, but Jesus could see beyond the immediate circumstances, beyond the immediate. Um, horrors of the cross to the joy that is beyond that. That's what enabled him to go to it so resolutely, so confidently. He could see the joy beyond. And then Jesus says, uh, the, the text says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Did you catch that? Our job is to To keep our eyes focused on Jesus, not on our problems, not on our struggles, not on our discouragements, not even on our response to those things going on in our lives. We're to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and nothing else. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Wow. We owe our faith to Jesus. He began a good work in us. It wasn't our baptism. It wasn't a prayer or a decision that we made. It wasn't the commitments that we made. As important as all of those things are, it was Jesus who started something in me and you and us, and he will carry it on to completion. And that means that even our ability to find joy in the face of a cross is on Jesus and from Jesus. We just need to keep our eyes fixed on him. Listen, there are always forces at work in the world and even in ourselves that threaten to rob us of joy and of peace. We should never be surprised by evil. We can pray that we are protected from it, delivered from it, but in this world, none are immune. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, why we need to keep our eyes focused on him, he overcame, even though we're still in the midst of struggles. And thank God for those words so that we aren't surprised by hardship and difficulty and loneliness and misunderstanding and sorrow and loss and fear and anything else that, might, that, would, that, would, that would take away our joy. In fact, joy is something that is sometimes found in unusual and unlikely circumstances. Second verse of James, it's hard to say this without saying it sort of sarcastically, but consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Truly, consider it pure joy. You don't have to be joyful or happy about the trials. But it's what they're producing. Again, hear it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Discouragements of life can give birth to something good that is grounds for joy. Jesus said you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. And then he used an illustration of a, of a woman giving birth. The delivery is often painful, uh, but once the baby is born, she forgets the pain. Is that true? <laughs> okay. Well, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> and if it weren't true, if it weren't true, some of you wouldn't be having three, four, and five children. Okay? So you must forget in some measure. I'm not doing this again. Anyway, you understand the point. There's the pain of childbirth. But once the child is born, it gives way to joy because a new life has come into the world. The mother's joyful. She has a baby. Are you in the midst of discouragement? Imagine that God is with you and that something good is being born in you. Born anew. Something is going to happen inwardly, spiritually, substantively, inwardly to change the state of your heart and mind. Grief, Jesus says, will give way to joy. This is what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When you are in the midst of discouragement, struggles, loss, or heartache, it may seem like it's never going to end. And Let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't end, right? Sometimes there are some circumstances that that don't end. This is a broken world and none of us has a guarantee that we won't at every turn face discouragement of one sort or another. But there are usually limits and boundaries to grief. In fact, I would say ultimately there are limits and boundaries to grief. Scripture says weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. just seems like the night can be really long sometimes. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It doesn't last. We get a break from it. Maybe only a glimpse. Maybe moments of grace, but eventually sweet release. Hopefully in this life, but ultimately in eternity. We maybe don't like to think of it that way, but death itself is a mercy. Yeah, I said that. Death itself is a mercy of God. In the covenant book of worship, there's a pastoral prayer in the funeral service that says something like this. We thank you, God, that for the one that we remember, the one who's just passed, death is passed and pain is entered and he or she has entered the joy that you have prepared. When I look at the... I hope I'm not sharing too much of this at times, but when I look at my mother's life, over the last 33 years, it's been very difficult circumstances for her. My mother uh, had a chemical imbalance. She she struggled with paranoia and schizophrenia. And uh, she lived in a kind of fear and confusion, and it often came across as, as anger, the, the fear, if you will, translated as anger. And uh, she left notes around the house. One of my brothers had to go through all of her paperwork, and he found notes that she had written over the years of stuff that was going on that she was thinking, trying to process, trying to understand, even found out that she had visited a psychiatrist a, a few times a few years ago. None of us knew this. She needed to, but we didn't know that she had actually gone. She knew something wasn't right. And uh, I often wondered what my mother's life was like. And uh, while she was sometimes difficult to be around, I knew that, that uh, community and relationships were important for her own health and well-being, even though she often pushed people away. So um, I prayed at her funeral these words. Thank uh, thank you, Lord, for my mother, for treasure Ann Miller, for the gift of her life, for the grace that you have given given her, for all in her that was good and kind and faithful. And we thank you that for her, death is past and pain is ended, and she has entered the joy that you have prepared. I believe that we can know joy now, despite difficult circumstances, but especially in eternity. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, can you imagine the joy that must have been theirs at creation? The wonder, the curiosity, exploring all of life. I mean, until they fell, they must have known nothing but joy and wonder and thrill and excitement. But when they fell, Things changed. Something changed inside of them. They became self-aware. And suddenly they felt a sense of shame at being naked and exposed. And fear at being vulnerable and accountable. They hid from God. They shifted blame. The Bible refers to this dramatic change and its consequence as a curse. The curse robs us of joy and peace. We too experience shame, guilt, fear, loneliness, and a struggle to make relationships work. It will rob us of joy if we let it, or we can trust Jesus who came to undo the curse and find hope and joy in the love and the forgiveness of God. And without the hope and healing that are found in and through Christ, we really have no cause for joy. In John 15, Jesus, in just the chapter prior to the one that we read from this morning, Jesus assures his followers that he loves them. He said, As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let me say that again. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy and Jesus is so inextricably linked with love that you can't have one without the other. Henry Nown, who's a great writer, Jesuit priest, uh, wrote this. He said, joy is essential to the spiritual life. It just reminds me, I, I saw a quote from a pastor this last week who, uh, I, I think I'm going to get this right. Going into church, the typical church, on Sunday morning and seeing the faces of the people in church on Sunday morning, typical Sunday morning, he said, it makes you wonder what happened between now and Pentecost. In other words, where's the joy? We should be known for our joy. So anyway, back to now. He says, joy is essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think of or say about God, when we are not joyful, our thoughts and words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that His joy may become ours and that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Now and goes on to say joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on it is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety. And that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Naan points out that joy comes not by pretending that everything is okay or ignoring the struggles, but by focusing, fixing your eyes on Jesus and focusing on the knowledge of God's love. Joy is inextricably linked to God's love. If you are absolutely assured of God's love for you, you can face a great many difficulties, trials, suffering, and brokenness. God is love, unfailing, unrelenting, overflowing, sacrificial love, and love is bigger than anything in its way. Nothing can separate us from that love. You must know it, believe it, claim it, rest in it, trust it, embrace it, celebrate it, and when you do, your joy will be complete. Friends, joy is found throughout the scriptures. In fact, the New Testament in particular begins and ends on a note of joy. Chorus of angels announcing the birth of Christ and at the end, the angel choruses surrounding the throne of God singing their hallelujahs and praises. Note of joy all the way through. We are to be people of joy. If you'll allow me one more thought to share with you before I close. What about those people whose lives are so broken, who are in such distress? Maybe it's violence, war, famine. And there are people in the world, of course, we just heard, there are folks in Africa who lack all the resources we have, but they have happiness. But there are people, not to uh, minimize that at all, there are people for whom life is an awful struggle what about them? It's easy to sometimes say, um, where is God? When you look at all the suffering and pain in the world, where is God? I suspect God is asking the same question. Where are you? Where are we? We are His ambassadors. We are His hands and feet. We are the body of Christ in the world. Perhaps taking our eyes off of our own discouragements and seeing the disabling circumstances of others, we may find joy in helping others, joy in helping bring the kingdom of God to bear in the present, joy in being instruments of peace, instruments of reconciliation and love. Maybe keeping our eyes focused on, fixed on Jesus is also that reminder that we are to see the face of God in every other person, in all others. Sister Joan Chittister, who lives in Erie and has spoken at Chautauqua a number of times, wrote this, Those who have no flame in their hearts for justice, no conscious of personal responsibility for the reign of God, no raging commitment to human community may indeed be seeking God, but make no mistake, God is still at best only an idea to them, not a living reality. Scripture tells us that when we share our faith, when we make known the love of God in word and in deed, that our joy will be made complete. If we harbor negative feelings about ourselves or toward others, even those who are different than us, that will certainly affect our behavior. Instead, we're called to open ourselves, to give of ourselves, sharing God's love in tangible ways, If we don't do that, we end up just turning in on ourselves. Instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus or on God's love, we look at ourselves and our own issues and problems. And and the soul that is curved in on itself, that's the very definition of sin. I'll tell you, there's no joy in that. There is no joy in that. It's looking out, looking at God, seeing the face of God in others, fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's where the joy is found. And so may the world be blessed. May the world be blessed by our joy. May we know that joy, that we share it with others. Let's pray.